Good morning, everybody. My name is Derek. I have a, a great, great joy of serving as an elder here at Church in the Square. Um, my wife and I have been at this church uh, since it began. Um, I'm really grateful to be standing up here today preaching for you guys for the second time. Um, we're back in Romans today, if you can believe it. Our guest preacher teaching series has concluded. If you've been tracking with us for the last uh, month or so, uh, you've seen a, a bunch of brothers up here. Uh, Jason's dad, PJ, as he likes to be called, Brian Dye, Steve Colble, Pastor Danny Lopez, Reverend Steve Laughlin was last week. Um, I want to thank him for coming here today to teach the gospel and being with us as we worship. Uh, not only did each one of those brothers give us a unique vantage point of the gospel and be with us as we worship, um, their fellow brothers waging war against the darkness of this day, proclaiming Jesus as Lord in this city. It was good for my soul to see how Jesus is working and molding these brothers throughout this city and in this world. Finally, the time spent with our guest teacher series has served as a sabbatical for Jason, um, our elder of revision and teaching in a super tangible way. I know that that time has blessed him in a very unique way. Next week, Aaron will wrap up um, and Jason will be back. So on March 27, 2022 our, was our last installment of Romans. I'll just assume you did not reread the sermon notes or listen to the sermon audio last night. Um, same, if I would have been prepping for a sermon, I likely would not have done the same thing. So this is where we are. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome, which, which, included, Jew, which included Jewish people and non-Jewish people or Gentiles. He uses the first eight chapters to articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 9, where we just kind of left, Paul begins writing directly to Jewish people. Or as Paul says, his kinsmen. Paul, who is an ethnic Jew, has great pain and emotion in this chapter. As he pleads with his Jewish brothers and sisters who have rejected the gospel. Even though Paul writes in Romans 9.4, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. They reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jason helped us to explore three questions, if you remember. If God saves some and not others, has God failed? If God saves some and not others, is God unjust? If God saves some and not others, how can God find fault? So we enter today into chapter 10. Paul's still talking to Jewish folks. He begins describing righteousness. And between today and next week, when Aaron preaches... We'll hopefully, by God's grace, learn what Christ-like righteousness looks like. Our text today is Romans 10, 1 through 4. Let me read it. I'll pray, and then we'll start. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear witness, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Gracious Father, as we learn today about what a righteousness based on self looks like versus what a righteousness based in Christ looks like, I ask that we check ourselves at the door. Give us eyes to hear, excuse me, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's providential that I'm teaching today about a lie. 
frankly, the vast majority of my story falls within this lie, a lie that I built a castle on from a very early age, a lie that the Jewish readers that Paul is speaking to are practicing, a lie that is so interwoven into our current culture and our country and our way of life that I believe is truly killing us and we have no idea. I believe this because it was killing me. We think it's normal. I heard this lie described one time as a sick satanic lullaby that plays over us. And when we try and bust out of the lullaby, it just plays a little louder and we fall back to sleep. Because it's easier to believe this lie, it's easier to build around it, it's easier to plant fruit around it than it is to cut it off at its head. It's easier to sleep than to be woken up and fight back the darkness and to utterly submit our entire beings to Jesus and to the one and to what the Bible actually says, it's easier to sleep than to submit our entire way of life to the one and only God of the universe that has given us everything in order to live with peace and joy and comfort and rest. The lie I'm here to teach you about today is a righteousness based on self. Let me say it again because it's taken me almost 35 years to identify this. In my heart, which I truly built on, believed in, and mastered, a righteousness based on self. Growing up, growing up outside of the church, I was quick to cling to attaboys, good jobs, accomplishments, outward success. Truly, I would have defined the way love is received as solely based upon earning it or performing it in a way that's deserving of love. We like to call this transactional love in the church. It wasn't until I met my wife, Ashley, that I solely began to understand that you can actually be upset with someone you love. And you have to do nothing to keep this love between you two. She showed me how to be in relationship where each party in said relationship matters. That wasn't just based around lust or physical touch or sex. A human, that was a girl whom I liked, actually cared deeply about me in a way that I need not keep my status or my body or accomplishments or emotions in perfect harmony to be loved. This blew my mind. As you may know, I went on to marry this one, but the lie was still there because honestly, why wouldn't it be? It was me. My entire being and identity was rooted in self and getting what's mine led to the closest I felt to the bottom or death ever. About four years into my marriage, I committed adultery. And I hid this sin to protect myself, to protect my castle, to protect myself, to keep myself, and for almost three years. What I pray we learn today and what the Lord in his mercy has been teaching me is that because of Jesus and his fulfillment of the law and becoming the cornerstone is that this story wasn't the end. This story is not what defines me. It's not who I am in myself that our God desires, but who I am in his son who offers reconciliation, restoration, forgiveness, and absolute wholeness that I could never have achieved by myself. In this text today, Paul graciously shows us three ways I believe this lie, this lie that a righteousness based on self will lead to death. The first is, a, is passion is not righteousness. Second is ignorance is not righteousness. And third, Christ is righteousness. To start, we'll look at how passion for the Lord is not righteousness. In verse 2, Paul says, I, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Being zealous or passionate for the Lord is not inherently a bad thing. 
Looking at the Jewish people Paul is speaking to, it is not hard to find an understanding in their actions. They've been given a law from God that was clear, concise, it was buttoned up. Literally, the law included how to talk, how to act, how to eat. Follow it or be separated from God. Not to mention, they likely had some familial lineage or stories to remind them of exile, of exile, famine, and persecution because they were born into a Jewish family. This gives us an incredibly vivid picture of whom we would call religious people today or those who have a deep head knowledge of scriptures or have followed Jesus for a long time and know all the Christian stuff. Paul is talking to you and me. Paul was talking to brothers and sisters that were just like him in zeal. Again, being zealous for the Lord isn't inherently bad, but living this way, not according to knowledge of what we actually read in our Bibles, is where sin or death begins to creep in. Death creeps in when our outward zeal for the Lord is where we hang our hat or where we build our castle with Jesus-like bricks. See where I'm going? I found a girl who I adored and I loved like nothing else in this world. Jesus found me in the midst of that. And instead of dying each time I sinned and confessing to, the, to live fully known, I decided to build a castle, a sand castle with Jesus' bricks. My sincerity toward God of the universe was very real. That's what's scary about it. I loved God. I knew he loved me. I was at church in the square. I read the Bible. I led a group. But what I never did was actually believe the Lord was calling me to cut the head off of Derek of the world and live according to the knowledge I had in Jesus. This letter was written in 57 AD, about 60 years after Jesus had walked the earth. So the Jews in Rome had no reason to claim they didn't know Jesus had come. This is the same today. Jesus was here. We have an entire collection of writings that lives and breathes his truths according to. Stop telling me you don't know you need to put self to death. Stop believing that what may be hidden in your heart can't be redeemed. Stop trusting that you'll figure it out. You won't. You can't. Because the Bible is telling us all the way from Genesis to Revelation that saving yourself is impossible and, will, and can only lead to plight, brokenness, and eternal separation. Be zealous for Jesus. That doesn't hinge on attaboys or girls. Good jobs or man, you love the Lord. Be humble in your zeal like your Savior was on the cross with his nails, hands, with nails through his hands and feet and a crown pounded into his head. Next. Let's explore how ignorance is not righteousness. In verse 3, Paul says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not to submit to God's righteousness. Here's where I want to spend some time. And truly, where the Lord has exposed the foundation I built on, which included some Jesus, some good morality, a whole lot of ignorance and disobedience to the righteousness of God. And to start, I want to press on where Paul says about seeking to establish their own righteousness. Here lies the satanic lullaby playing over us in our Western society. I'm convinced that this is happening on the daily to each of us just because we live here at this specific moment in the timeline. Please hear this. We're not wrong for living in the United States. We're not wrong for being here. We're not wrong for being part of the Western church. The Lord has placed each of us here to glorify him, to help fulfill his will. 
But I know I need to be reminded that these circumstances are unique to the lens I'm drawn to see my life through, the approach I take to life, and the way I interact with the world around me. This is context, not accusation. So just like Paul was drawing from his own experience on righteousness based on self, with which he has a known context for his first century readers, this gives us context how it can apply today. So the lullaby is playing over and over and over. And the lie, a righteousness based on self, is slowly trying to root into your entire being. Let's walk through a few places I think we're inundated and how easy or normal it feels to root into self not Jesus. The American dream. I start here for a few reasons, but mostly because I think it's the easiest target. This idea or dream that we are told to spend our entire lives achieving is so utterly satanic and unbiblical, it makes you want to scream. I, can't, I honestly can't. The first, first, whose American dream? Which people group? Which gender? Which race? What does it include? Who says who? Trust me, I have no idea. But listen, it's not our fault that it's a thing. But this root runs deep. But it is our responsibility in the church to push back the idea that comfort things, retirements, families, marriages, and success should be the normal American life. I'm still fighting this battle because all my heart desires is to crush it financially, live without boundaries, Retire early so I can wear hoodies and jeans and sneakers and compare myself to everyone else's hustle and maybe take that chip off my shoulder. That's a big part of my heart. All of these American dream ideas are rooted in self and denies the need for faith or a savior. Galatians is really helpful. Paul also wrote this. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to who and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, then that it is those of faith who are the son of Abraham. Next, social media. I was in college when the Facebook started. You needed an EDU to have access, and some of you this makes complete sense, and others you have no idea what I'm talking about. So I've never not had social media since its inception. There's much to be said about social media, but the aspect that I'm most convinced is killing you and killing us is that it's always a one-way street and it's solely based on self. The foundation of any page is you, period. At baseline, you make all the decisions. It's your little glass world with no one else. There's no accountability or guardrails. It's all done through a device that cannot speak back, tell you no, or say, hey, this is satanic. Do you hear the lullaby playing over and over and over? I never had, nor do I have, a social media that would be identified as influential. Yet I would spend hours 
on a feeding myself with myself. I could find lust. I could find greed. I could find anger. I could find all my idols in one spot, and it led me to believe I could get whatever I wanted, take whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted it, and believe, and I believe this aided in me to step out of my marriage. As fellow brothers and sisters, we should be deeply concerned with each one of us, with, with what each one of us is doing on those apps because it's taking root inside our hearts. You will not convince me it's healthy. Just stop. Because as soon as you tell me about all the pastors and Bible folks and tank good news as you follow, I'll ask, do they know who you are? Is there a relationship there? No matter what you do on social media, you do it alone. And you're bringing only yourself to the table. So you sit down to scroll, all your pride, shame, guilt, joys, idols, and feels are being read back to you through a one-way mirror, and it's slowly putting you back to sleep. Either throw your phone against the wall right now, or take three months off, go to your group after the three months and say, and answer this question, why should I go back and for what fruit? This leads me to the place where I laid the most Derek bricks in a lot of them. Isolation. I think when we hear the word isolation on a Sunday at church, we may think, well, I don't stay home. I have friends. I communicate with my family. I work a steady job. I come to church. I'm a part of a group. I share my stuff in life. This is not the essence of what I'm speaking to. I did all those things too, really well. I talk isolation. What I'm grasping at is, are you fully known do your brothers and sisters know you? Are you fully known to anyone, to your spouse, to a family member, to a friend? Do you even know what fully known is? Right here is where the lullaby was playing the loudest and most effective in my life. I failed to even tell my wife I was struggling with who I was, what I believed, and what I was trying to push back in my heart on the daily. I was white knuckling it in my heart, all while at church in groups with what I thought were robust friendships, crushing it at work. No one actually knew me because I became the CEO of isolation. My confessions had an endpoint. I never shared the desires of my heart, which inevitably led to sins. Paul models sharing your desires beautifully right here in Romans 10, right before he tells them they aren't able to save themselves he says in verse one, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For the sake of all you're holding up, to share your desires immediately to push out the darkness and to wake up from this lullaby that's playing. Jesus says this wonderfully in his, excuse me, James says this wonderfully in his epistle. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. James knew that this is not the sin or symptoms of dark. James knew that, that it's not just the sin or symptoms of darkness that show up in our lives that are killing us. It's much more rooted than that. 
It's the desires we carry that lead to death. So right here is how we can push back the darkness and climb out of the depths of isolation and become fully known to those around us. Share your desires. Share the desires of your heart. Like today. Don't wait. Church, go to your group this week, whatever lullaby or whisper you're hearing, you're believing, you're building on. Bring that to them and confess. Repent and allow Jesus to reign true, not the song that's playing over and over and over in your head. Whether you've been a Christian for a short time or a long time, this lie we've been discussing is quickly refuted in our minds and and likely outwardly if we were to be asked. At any time, I'm able to articulate that building a life on Derek is currently or will be fleeting. But why are we still doing it then? Why am I so drawn to the measuring sticks of this world? That lie, the lie we started with today, the lie that a righteousness based on self can save or at minimum give us nice, easy, comfortable life that is frosted with a little Jesus to show our friends and family in small group. Those are the fruits of the spirit that I got from a self-made Derek scaffolding inside my little world that felt so nice. I'm afraid this may be seeded into our daily lives like radon or carbon monoxide. We don't even know it's killing us until it does. Stop believing this lie. Paul was the OG of this. For those who may not know Paul, he was a Jewish boss. He killed Christians to please God. A man named Saul who became Paul out of his deep understanding and conviction of the law and inevitably his self-proclamation and zealousness to please and hustle for his God led him to believe, to act, to spend years rounding up to kill brothers and sisters that profess Jesus is Lord to kill them should give us great solace in Paul's story and awe in the way in which God used Paul to proclaim Jesus as Lord, not Paul. So I say to you and to me, when we're met on the road and our eyes are blinded, will you confess you are not the Lord of your life? Will you confess you didn't weave the needle perfectly to be where you are today? Will you praise the one who holds it all together for you and outwardly proclaim to your coworkers, your friends, your group members, your parents at school pickups? It's only because Jesus that Dot, dot, dot. Fill in the blank. Finally, let's answer how Christ is righteousness. Christ is righteousness. Paul finishes verse four. But for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Here's where we begin to cut the head off the serpent. Where the lullaby gets turned way down where the lie is refuted and truth reigns true. This is why I can get up each day, take off the scarlet letter. Here is why Ashley decides not to just bail. Jesus Christ, the son of God, who was fully man and fully God, came to this earth and walked like we walked, hurt like we hurt, sat next to people and told them who they were in himself. Jesus says you are mine, brother and sister. You're not defined by you. The battle isn't over because you believed or shared or confessed. 
We aren't immune to ourself any more yesterday than we are today. But what Jesus gives is a person, a God, a Savior, that fulfills a covenant God promised in the law would come. And today, right now, we can find a righteousness that's lasting. It's like a rock. It's unmovable and unshakable. That's rooted in a heavenly father we long to be in relationship with. Hear this from Matthew 5, when Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount. And he opened his mouth, that's Jesus, and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are merciful, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness', righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Finally, confess your passion for the Lord is not enough. Confess the ignorance you have been believing about Jesus is a lie. Confess that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Because our Savior came, bore our sins on the cross, and paid our debts, I can stand here today, I can stand here today not as the adulterer, but as a brother in Christ. Ashley can stand here knowing her God offers forgiveness and that she with steadfastness and truth beautifully offered to me. We stand here together knowing either of us is not enough and yet we're whole. Jesus offers forgiveness freely to all that confess. So I say to you and I say to me, turn the lullaby down, defeat the whisperer that's talking to you, push back the darkness every day, refute the lie and come to Jesus' table who offers forgiveness to all who are weary and burdened. For Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. Forgiveness is where the abundant beauty of Jesus is found in all of God's creation. And I pray that we would be a church that believes forgiveness is to be more righteous than ourselves. Let me pray. You're a really big God, yet you're really, really close. We can know you each day. We can feel your presence. God, as we are inundated with these lies, with this lullaby that plays over us without us even knowing, that we would be a people that are so rooted in who you are that we forget who we are, that we would see brothers and sisters out on the street and say, hey, is that you or is that Jesus? God, give us the strength, the wisdom, the meekness, and most of all, give us the humility to be a people that know where their identity lies. And that they 
and we can push back the satanic lullaby that plays over us each day and walk in the righteousness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.